0: Amen. Praise God. Go ahead and turn to uh, our master text this morning in Genesis chapter 37. And we are on, believe it or not, uh, I think that says uh, part 11. That's wrong. It's part 12 today. Part 12 today of our Greater Grace series. This is one of the longest series that I've been on. But I just feel like the Holy Spirit has instructed me to take your time. You know, I'm kind of a a type A person. And I like to get in there and get it done, get in and get out and move on to the next thing. And the Holy Spirit has kind of put some, uh, you know, a bridle on me with this series and and instructed me, take your time. We're probably not going to get this in one or two teachings. We're probably not going to get to the heart of why we walk in pride we're probably not going to get to the heart of how to address it appropriately in just one or two teachings. So three months on this, and I'm still not done. The Holy Spirit's still not done. So, uh, in fact, how many of you, I just want to ask you a question as we start out this morning. How many of you have ever dealt with pride in your life? Raise your hand if you have. Okay, so the, the few of you that didn't raise your hands, you're liars. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> you need to repent for lying. <laughs> so, no, I think that was pretty much everybody. That was a joke. Um, so uh, let me ask this. How many of you have dealt with pride more than once in your life? Many times, in fact. Okay. So the reason that we deal with pride more than once, kind of on an ongoing basis, is because we tend to deal with the fruit of pride rather than the root of it. I'm going to say that again. We tend to deal with the fruits of of pride rather than the roots of pride. So I'm going to teach you today, toward the end of our teaching, I'm going to give you some strategies that will help us to deal with the root of pride appropriately and effectively. But let's go ahead and read this master text, if you're there now, in Psalm, I'm sorry, Genesis 37, and we're going to read verses 1 through 10. So go ahead and stand up with me, and let's honor the reading of God's holy word. This is a familiar passage for some of you who love the story of Joseph. So let's begin. Verse 1 of chapter 37. Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. This is the account of Jacob. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives, and he brought their father a bad report about them. So he was a little tattletale. Okay? Okay. Now, Israel, or Jacob, loved Joseph more than any of his other sons, because he had been born to him in his old age. And he made a richly ornamented robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Now, Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers... They hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose up and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. By the way, side note, if you know your relatives don't like you anyway, um, telling them a dream like this that basically implies that they're going to bow down to you someday, not a good idea, Okay. Not a good idea. Uh, Joseph had some growing to do where wisdom is concerned. Verse 8, his brothers said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Verse 9, then he had another dream and he told it to his brothers. He didn't learn his lesson. What's the saying? Youth is wasted on the young. Have to learn our lessons the hard way sometimes. Listen, he said, I had another dream, and this time the sun and the moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. When he told his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, What is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. And all God's people say, Amen. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat if you will. Praise God. All right. Well, this is going to be fun. Um, The the key points that I want to bring out this morning, just to kind of uh, give you uh, a template for where we're going with this, is this. This is on the screen and and your notes. The first one is this. Many people, but perhaps not all, have a specific dream from God like Joseph did. Many people, but perhaps not all. Have a specific dream from God like Joseph did. Now, I've heard some people say, some pastors say, that every person has a dream from God for their lives, but I'm not sure that that's true. I think that God does give some people like Joseph uh, big dreams and and big ambitions for their lives, Um, but I think that other people, God is called to come alongside certain leaders, and uh, says to them, I want you to plug in with that person and support their dream, and in that, you'll find my blessing. You think that's true? See, when I, th- when I think about that point right there, it puts me in rem- remembrance of Moses, because it was Moses that God gave the dream to, right? Right? But God called other people, like his brother Aaron, to come alongside Moses and support that dream of freeing the Israelites from Egyptian captivity. So if God hasn't given you a big dream, don't worry about it. You're still in God's plan. You're still a part of his overall plan. Uh, Just be faithful to what God has called you to right now. And, And if there is something bigger that God has in mind for you down the road, well, just Go ahead and remain faithful to what God has called you to right now. All right. So the next key point here to kind of form the foundation for where we're going with this teaching today, many people live with the dream instead of the ultimate destiny. Many people live with a dream instead of stepping into their ultimate destiny. See, many people, even if they've been given a big dream or destiny from God, never step into it. And that's the tragic thing. Many people never step into the ultimate dream or destiny that God has given them because they fail the pride test. They fail the pride test. And that leads us to our last key point, forming the foundation for the teaching this morning. So that dream, if God has given you a big dream, and this teaching is going to be for everyone this morning, those of you that God has given a dream to, and those of you that God is instructed to plug into somebody else's dream. So there'll be something for all of us here this morning. But that dream, this is a key point, is going to test your humility and expose your pride. That dream is going to test your humility and expose your pride. So here's what not to do. (laughs) when you're given a calling. And this is why I wanted to read read about Joseph because he gives us a good example in this case of what not to do. So what not to do when you're given a calling? Well, don't brag about the dream. Don't brag about it. See, if you brag about the dream, you'll probably never reach the destiny. In other words, you don't have to tell people about God's call on your life is what I'm saying. Just do, as the Bible says, of Moses, and just be faithful in all of God's house. See, going back to Joseph, um, the dream tested Joseph. It tested his character. In in this particular case, however, he failed that test. Now, Joseph went on to pass all the other tests that uh, he was confronted with when he got to Egypt. But in this initial test, he kind of bombed, didn't he? Kind of bombed. But, folks, listen, his failure can be our victory. See, because Joseph's story, the story of his life, is in the Bible for a reason. We can learn lessons from his life. And the lesson here is, don't do what he did in this particular instance. So then, if you have a calling on your life, it's a, and you, if you feel it's a big calling... You don't have to go around telling people about your calling. Well, I'm called to this. You don't have to go around telling people that. Just be faithful to what God is doing in your life right now. Be humble and let God unfold whatever it is that he has in mind for you in his timing. Does that make sense? Okay, and that's a mark of humility right there. The you Keep it to yourself, between you and God, and let God unfold it in His timing. That's a mark of humility. Now, by the way, I want to make a side note. Why do people brag? Why do people brag? Because pride and insecurity is in their hearts. I'm going to show you here in a minute why pride and insecurity are related and why they can actually be in operation simultaneously. But the point here is the reason that people brag is because pride is in their hearts. In Matthew uh, 1234, it says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You remember that? Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. See, if a person is bragging, then it's a sign that pride is in their hearts. Now, someone might say, well, brother, you don't know what's in my heart. Well, I can tell at least some of what's in your heart by what's coming out of your mouth. And on that point, let me give you a little insight on what God is doing in my life right now and what God has been dealing with me about. See, pride always has to have a voice. Pride always has to insert its opinion in every conversation. And I'm a real opinionated person, and that's a, something that uh, I've dealt with in the past that God's been dealing with me on, so one of the, the benefits of God dealing with a pastor is that you get to hear about some of this and uh, it's a teaching point for your life as well. So, so remember this, If for all of you tweeters out there, you can tweet this. Uh, pride always has to have a voice. Pride always has to insert its opinion. Man, it's quiet in here right now. I, I assume I'm in good company, right? Yeah. Let's talk about social media for a moment. <laughs> Ooh, okay. Um, this is why social media, by the way, has become such a hive of hatefulness. Because people are always charging in to give their opinion when their opinion was not invited. And then you see these fights break out on Facebook. As a, ma- As a matter of fact, I saw a post the other day that, it was ridiculous, but Somebody said something derogatory about uh, people still adhering to certain rules of grammar. And then you saw all these really rude comments that followed. And I was so tempted to add my own comment and say something like, it is amazing to me the silly stuff that people fight over these days. And actually, I actually hit the button that says, add a comment. But wisdom uh, won out and uh, told me to just leave it alone, so that's what I did. The point here is this, folks. You don't have to add your opinion to every conversation and every issue, especially on social media, because, man, will you ever ever get a backlash? If you want to just open yourself up to a big backlash, just start putting in your opinion everywhere, and you'll keep yourself busy just people put you back on your heels, you'll be busy just answering people's responses. Don't get into that, okay? As a matter of fact, it's, it's actually better if you don't add your opinion in a lot of cases. See, it says in Ecclesiastes 3.7, it says, There's a time to be silent and a time to talk. And this is something, again, that God has really been dealing with me on because I've been bad about this in the past, honestly, because I'm so opinionated. And again, listen, I don't think it's bad to be opinionated necessarily. All that means is that you have strong opinions about something. But I think the negative connotation of that term opinionated comes when people are just like giving their opinions all the time in a forceful way, uh, in a way that is kind of demeaning to the other person. That's kind of how that term opinionated now is seen in our culture. But uh, while I don't think it's a bad thing to be opinionated, in other words, having strong opinions about things, um, I do think that there is a time to give your opinion and a time to refrain. So just let the, the guidance of humility guide you in that regard. Okay, so that's a one expression. Of pride and humility right there, knowing when to talk, when to be silent. But I want to give you a, another principle here where Joseph is concerned about what not to do, okay? And that's this. Don't think that the dream is only about you. Don't think the dream is only about you. Now, side note. Um, God's ultimate destiny, folks, is not to make you great. And it wasn't in Joseph's case. God's ultimate destiny is not to make you great. It's to help you to help a lot of people. And in order to position you better for helping a lot of people, what God wants to do is he wants to enlarge your influence. Okay? It's all about other people. He wants to enlarge your influence, but he can't and won't increase the influence of those of his children who are still struggling with pride because God knows that if you give somebody even a little bit of power, they can really hurt themselves and others with it because they let it go to their head. So in the case of Joseph, see, God gave him that dream when he was 17 years old. But he didn't step into the beginning of fulfilling that dream until he was 30 after he had passed some various tests. And now listen, Joseph becoming second in command in all of Egypt wasn't the ultimate fulfillment of that dream, by the way. Okay, i we'll to say that again. I want you to get your mind around this. Joseph stepping into being... The second in command of the most powerful nation on the earth at the time was not the ultimate fulfillment of his dream. Why do I say that? Because helping a lot of people and saving them from starvation was the ultimate fulfillment of his dream. And that part of his calling actually didn't happen until he was about 40 years old. You following me? So for those of you that do feel like that you have a big dream from God like Joseph did, well... God may have tried, or he may be in the process right now, of testing you. He may be in the process right now of testing you, or he may have tried in the past, and you failed. Now, let me say a word about that for a second. In God's economy, in God's kingdom, you don't ever ultimately fail a test until you breathe your last. As long as you're still breathing, and you fail a test... I don't think God writes an F on your paper. He writes an R for redo. You just get to take the test over again somewhere else or with someone else, but you're going to get to take a retest. Praise God. Okay? So that's why you see some people that are 50 years old and been in the faith for 30 years, and they're still spiritually speaking in second grade because they've failed so many tests, and they don't learn their lesson. They don't learn their lesson. So you'll have to pass some tests, folks, to step into the next part of your destiny. Don't you want to pass some tests? Yeah. Praise God, me too. All right, so I want you to know that God is a multitasker. He is the ultimate multitasker. He's good at it. He likes to accomplish many things at the same time. Why do I bring that up? Well, because could it be That God gives people dreams, not just so that they will ultimately touch other people's lives. But also because he's using that dream. Listen, he's using that dream to work some things out of our lives as well, so that we can fulfill that dream later on. Are you following me? See, the dream starts us on our path to maturity, so that we can handle the destiny. So he gives us the dream, listen, to reveal the pride like a silversmith will reveal the dross in the silver when he turns up the heat. Okay, so oftentimes God gives the dream first like he did in Joseph's case to work the pride out of us so that we can be pure enough and prepared enough to handle that ultimate destiny. So then, God has in mind... Your development as well as the people you touch with your destiny Because God is a multitasker He will, as the saying goes, kill several birds with one stone Amen Now, by the way, if you've ever wondered why other people seem to be fulfilling their destiny but you're not Maybe it's because those people have passed some tests And you haven't yet That's why Come on, you can say amen to that, can't you? We're all learning and growing, right? Hallelujah. So then how can we get to know our destiny from God? If, if you think you have a destiny from God, um, or maybe you don't know yet, maybe you kind of have a vague idea, maybe you have a feeling like, well, I, I really believe that there's more, God's called me to something. Um, how do we refine that? How do we get to know our destiny from God? Well, the principle here is really an easy one. Get to know God. If you want to get to know God's dream for your life, get to know God. Get to know the one who can reveal the destiny, folks, and then fulfill it. Get to know the one who can reveal that destiny to you and then fulfill it for you. Get to know God. You see, the children of Israel, you got to listen to this, the children of Israel knew God's acts The Bible says that the children of Israel, that they knew his acts, but Moses knew God's ways. There's a difference. Moses knew God's ways. See, let me give you an example of that. The the people of Israel, they trembled when they heard God speak at Mount Sinai. And they said to Moses, Moses, let God speak to you, because if we hear his voice again, we will die God's voice must be really, really awesome to those who aren't ready to hear it. See, the Bible says that God speaks to some prophets and dreams and visions, but to Moses, he spoke face to face like a man talking to his friend. Now, why was that? It's because Moses spent so much time with God. He spent so much time in God's presence getting to know him, and the Bible says of Moses that he was faithful in all of God's house. He was faithful in all of God's house. That's a lesson for us, folks. So if God has a big and specific assignment on your life, that's how to get assigned and to step into that destiny is just get to know God really well, obey him, and be faithful to him. Wherever God has you right now, be faithful in all of his house. Praise God. Now, I want to talk to you about the roots of pride. So we're talking about dreams and destinies this morning and fruits and roots. So the roots of pride. So the roots of pride are these. I'm going to just go ahead and give them to you right up front. And going to, we're going to elaborate on both of these. The roots of pride are often insecurity and ignorance. Insecurity and ignorance. For example... I said in a previous teaching that sometimes people who are insecure look prideful because they'll brag about things and they'll name drop and they'll do things like that, and that looks prideful. But what they're doing is they're trying to compensate for a shriveled self-esteem, is what they're doing. Okay, The, the, the reason they do that is to bring attention to themselves in an effort to overcome their insecurity. And by the way, Satan, will try to work on your areas of insecurity and try to get you to break rank with humility. Let me say that again. Satan will try to work on your areas of insecurity and try to get you to break rank with humility. And you know how I know that? Because he tried that with Jesus. When Jesus was fasting in the wilderness and Satan came to him and tempted him, that's exactly what he tried. That was his strategy. See, Satan said to Jesus, if you are the son of God, turn these stones into bread. You remember that? If you are really the son of God. Tempting Jesus to take that default position over into pride and try to prove who he really was. But, praise God, Jesus didn't take that bait. Hallelujah. He just quoted scriptures and wouldn't prove that he was the son of God. See, the Bible says of Jesus that he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking on the form of a servant. Taking on the form of a servant. See, listen, folks. This is a really important statement I'm about to make right here. You've got to lean in on this one. Secure people don't have to prove themselves to anyone. Secure people don't have to prove themselves to anyone. Insecure people, however, are constantly trying to prove themselves to everyone. Look how spiritual I am. Look how smart I am. Look how attractive I am. Look how successful I am. And all of those things represent the pride of life that we talked about in a previous teaching. See, we cannot walk in the highest degree of God's grace and favor and blessings if we live like that. Now let's deal with the other root of pride here, and that's the the root of ignorance. Now, why is ignorance a root of pride? All right, here's why. We tend to judge what we don't know much about. Which is a really strange human tendency, but it really is true. We tend to judge sometimes what we don't know much about. Last week, as a matter of fact, I gave you several expressions of worship. Remember that part of the teaching last week? I gave you several expressions of worship and how religious pride will try to tempt us to smirk at what other people do in other churches. But I showed you last week that all of those worship expressions that I put up on the screen, all of them are sanctioned in the Bible. You see, ignorance, this is, this is where I'm trying to make my point here, ignorance could look at people who dance around the room during a worship service, for example, and, and say, gosh, they're so emotional. I would never do anything like that. But if you start to learn more, you find that in the Bible... David danced before the Lord and his wife Michal judged him and spoke sarcastically to him about his dancing and the Bible says that she died childless implying that her comments so displeased the Lord that he closed her womb so we better be careful how we judge too quickly and speak too quickly You see, if you don't know what the Bible says about worship expressions, and I'm just using that as an example, then it's very easy to get into pride and judge things incorrectly. And how many of you have ever done that? I mean, you have to raise your hand, but if you're like me, you can probably remember many times where you judge a situation too quickly and you find out later a few more details and then you feel silly about how you originally judged that situation. Has that ever happened to anybody else but me? Yeah. Okay. So in our pride, folks, we tend to jump to conclusions without even considering that there may be more to the situation that we may not know anything about. In our pride, we tend to jump to conclusions without even considering that there may be more information that we may not even know anything about at the moment. So that's why the roots of pride are insecurity and ignorance. Are you following me? All right. Now, I want to talk to you this morning about how to deal with pride, how to address it successfully and appropriately in your life. But I want to give you an analogy to set this up. Okay, let's say, for example, that there's a prince in a wealthy kingdom, and he sees a young lady among the commoners. And she really catches his eye, and it's like love at first sight. But he doesn't want to approach her as the prince because he wants to win her genuine love based upon who he is as a person. So he disguises himself as a commoner and then goes and works among them to earn his keep and to, and to woo her. And eventually he succeeds in winning her heart. And it's at that time that he reveals his true identity. And then after they're married, he moves her into the castle and eventually... Over some time, he becomes the king with her at his side as the queen. Now, she's not of royal blood, and her family members probably once in a while remind her of that. You're not of royal blood, but there she is in the castle living as the queen. So how does she deal with the insecurity that maybe creeps in from time to time? Well, she deals with that insecurity by reminding herself that the king chose her, and he loves her very much, and she's now the queen, and nothing can change that. So she reminds herself of her relationship with the king and her position as his beloved. That's how she deals with her insecurity. Boy, there's a... Word to us right there, folks. Therein lies a very important spiritual takeaway. See, Satan will try to steal your sense of security and make you feel insecure. He'll try to steal your sense of security and make you feel insecure. He may even whisper to your heart sometimes that you're not even a Christian. After all, look at how you acted yesterday. See, but that's when we have to remind ourselves of what Jesus gave up to purchase our salvation. And the Bible says that we are now sons and daughters of God, and nothing can separate us from the love of God. Praise God. Hallelujah. So on that note then, we deal with insecurity by knowing who we are in Christ, that we are His beloved And that there's nothing that can change that short of you just walking away from your faith. Nobody and nothing can separate you from the love of God outside of your own will. So then, on that note, how does the young lady in our story then prevent going into uh, the other extreme, the other direction, into pride? Easy. She simply reminds herself where she came from. And folks, I believe that forgetting the past and straining toward what is ahead is something that we ought to be doing. But I also believe that there's merits in looking in the rear view mirror and reminding ourselves what God saved us out of. Amen. Hallelujah. See, remembering who you were before Christ keeps us humble and thankful for what God has done. Praise God. Also, then we deal with pride by remembering where we came from. We deal with insecurity by knowing who we are in Christ. And since insecurity is related to, to pride, we deal with a pride by remembering where we came from. Praise God. But there's a third principle in dealing with pride, and that's this. Reminding ourselves that how we judge others is the ruler for how we will be judged. And that brings a little bit of sobriety into the conversation, doesn't it? How we judge others is how we're going to be judged. So I want to talk to you about the boomerang effect for a moment. I'm just calling it the boomerang effect, but it's really sowing and reaping. That's what it is. So in Luke 37, like I'm sorry, Luke 6, verses 37 through 38, it says this: Do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you'll be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. Now, by the way, verse 38 is one that we typically, um, in, in kind of our circles, in this church, we apply to uh, the, the sowing and reaping principle where money and possessions is concerned. And it, re- it really does, it, it's, it's a broad application here. So it does apply to those things. But I also want you to understand, read in context, this is talking about forgiving and judging and condemning. So if you don't condemn, you won't be condemned. If you don't judge, you won't be judged. If you forgive, you'll be forgiven. It's all sowing and reaping. It's that boomerang effect. But let's look at what it goes on to say. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. The exact measure that you use to judge others is the exact measure that's going to be used to judge you. As a matter of fact, I, you know, one of the things I love about my wife is that sometimes I'm much more quick to make a judgment call where somebody is concerned and get kind of like, like oh, why did they act like that? What in the world are they thinking? And Donna, on the other hand, is like, well, I don't want to judge them because I don't want that to come back on me. Okay Out of the mouth of wives (laughs) Praise God You know, I do want to clarify something about this passage though That's kind of off topic, but it's still kind of related I, I want to clarify You know, a lot of people will want to live any way they want to And excuse their sin And if a brother or sister in Christ confronts them This is the verse that they will usually want to quote Verse 37, now don't judge or you're going to be judged. Okay, so that's how they want to excuse their sin. And don't talk to me about my sin because I don't want to hear it. And so they throw Luke 637 at you. Um, Well, the Bible also says, by the way, that you will know them by their fruits. Okay, in other words, we will know who our brothers and sisters in Christ are by their lifestyles. Okay? And in order to identify who's in the faith and who isn't, we do have to make some observations. If we're going to identify who's in the faith and who isn't by that biblical standard, then we do have to make some observations and observe the fruit in people's lives. There's nothing wrong with that. The Bible says that we're to do that. The Bible also says in Galatians 6.1 and I'm just going to uh, quote it here for you. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are mature or spiritual should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, lest you also fall into temptation. So we're called to identify the sins that people, you know, and, and address those things and restore people gently and try to Exhort one another in love, the Bible says. And furthermore, the Bible also tells us that people who are living in sexual immorality in the church and who will not repent even after they've been confronted several times, I'm just going to give you the Bible standard, folks. This is not politically correct, but I'm not here for your political correctness, and neither was Jesus. As I've said many times, Jesus was about the least politically correct person in history. So the Bible says that if someone is living in unrepentant sexual immorality in the church, talking about in the church, not outside in society, people that are not in the church at all, in the church, if they're claiming to be a Christian and they're living in sexual immorality in the church, then to go confront them. And if they will not repent even after uh, confrontation several times, then it says to put them out of the church. That's what it says. Not out of a mean, vindictive spirit. That's not what it's getting at. Um, So that they will feel conviction about their sin and repent. Now, I do want to make a little caveat here. Back in that culture when this was written, there wasn't a church on every corner back then. In this culture, if you confront someone about, like, say, sexual immorality, and you put them out of the church so that they'll feel convicted— Many times they won't feel convicted because they'll just go to another church that doesn't convict them about those things. That accepts those things and, and doesn't preach repentance from dead works. To quote Hebrews one. Okay, so does that, that make sense? So So folks, that's not judging. That's just obeying the scriptures and attempting to restore a person gently who's been entangled in sins that could shipwreck their faith eventually. So judging folks, is when we act like the presiding judge and jury over a person. See, we'll just have to leave the ultimate execution of judgment to God, folks, because only He knows what's fair and just in each and every situation. So we're called to love those who are entangled in sin, no matter what kind of sin it is, even while helping them to see the folly of their ways. See, love has to be the motivating factor for what we do, just as it always was with Jesus, So then, how do we obey this verse then in Luke chapter 6? Judge not so that you won't be judged. Well, an example of someone judging another person, let me just give you one example. There could be many. But one example is refusing to talk to someone anymore after they've offended you. That's the way that we judge people. That's a form of judgment, because maybe that person was just having a bad day, maybe there was some some events going on in their life that brought some terrible turmoil, and then they just reacted, and you were in the way at the time that they reacted. Okay, so that may have, you know, some terrible situations in their life that you know nothing about may have sparked that behavior. So we just need to continue to be loving and understanding In all situations. And I think I gave you an example before. I'm going to use the same example again that I've used in the past. But I read a story one time about a man who was in a restaurant with his small children, and he was just kind of sitting there in, in the booth, and his children were running all around the restaurant and being very disruptive and slapping newspapers out of people's hands, making all kinds of noise, and being just tremendously disruptive until finally the manager came up to him and said, Sir, Don't you realize that your children are terrorizing this restaurant? Can you please get them under control? And it's like it snapped the man out of a daze or something. He said, oh, oh, I'm so sorry. We just came from their mother's funeral, and I don't think that they know how to process it. And then the attitude of of the manager completely changed. He said, oh, I'm so sorry. Is there anything that I can do? See, once again, when we get more information... Sometimes our attitudes change and our judgment goes away. So one of the roots of pride is ignorance. Okay, so we just need to be loving and understanding in all situations, okay? Even if we're addressing a a sin in someone's life, be loving and understanding. You've heard me reference this book many times, especially in the series on humility, the imitation of Christ, one of the most best loved books in all of Christianity, probably second only to the Bible. Thomas A Kempis, a 14th century German monk, wrote this book. I've read it many times myself, and it's worth going back over again and again and again because the pride and humility issue is really highlighted in that book, um, just nearly on every page and in every quote. But I want to give you one quote out of that book that relates to this discussion this morning. And he says this, Endeavor to be patient with the failings and weaknesses of others, no matter what kind they are. For you yourself have many failings that must be endured by others. And all God's people say, Amen. "Amen." That's right. Praise God. Yeah. So then every single person on the planet, I want you to know, folks, has a story. Every person has a story. So don't judge people before you truly know them. The truth might actually surprise you. And now on that note, to swing all the way back around to how we started this teaching by talking about Joseph. You know, let's learn from Joseph's mistake. And even if we feel that God has called us to great things, just allow those things to unfold in God's timing and just serve in his house. Humbly and quietly without tooting your own horn. And that, folks, will propel you toward your destiny rather than what so many people experience, which is their destiny being either delayed or completely derailed. Okay, so just do as Moses did, serve in God's house faithfully and humbly, and let God take care of the rest. Praise God. Let's stand and pray for a moment. You've been listening to the teaching ministry of Pastor Andy Robbins and Blessed Life Fellowship. For more teaching and ministry resources, go to the church website at www.blessedlifefellowship.org. Thanks for listening, and may God's grace and favor shine on you.